leading us in the worship of our God. I appreciate PC, who came into service and jumped right up without practicing that song at all. I texted saying that the last one here would get to do a solo. It was Dean's idea, yes. I wasn't going to throw Dean under the bus in front of everyone, but there you go. Last week I said I didn't have any Legos in my house, and, and I come to church this morning, and I see this yellow bag here with Legos in it. So whoever helped donate to the Lego fund, thank you. I, I will have fun. We are studying 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 5 to 17 again this morning. Same passage we studied last week. We're going to be diving into it again this week, 1 Corinthians 3, 5 to 17. Last week, we discussed how we are God's builders, so we should build. This week, we're going to take our eyes off of ourselves and consider the builders around us, people that God has, God has called to build into our lives, teachers and leaders of churches. Let's read 1 Corinthians 3, 5 to 17 with that perspective in mind. Paul writes, What after all is Apollos and what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is. Because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple, and that God's Spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred, and you together are that temple. Paul says they are God's builders, so let them build. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you. In you, you are the sovereign God, the one who created everything and who holds all things together by your hand. You are the one who is perfectly holy and righteous and just. You are the one who is greater than we can imagine. And yet you are the one who has revealed yourself to us that we might know you and not only know you, but be used by you. You are the holy God who does all things well. You perfectly love. You are perfectly good. Everything you touch is made whole. And we are the sinful, broken people who make a mess of everything. And yet for some reason you choose to use us to glorify you, to share your word, to spread your joy and your love and your peace. Some days I can't understand why. But thank you that you do use us. And as you use us, you make us better. And we get to be part of something bigger than ourselves. 
You give us purpose for each and every day. Thank you for that truth. Lord, help us to remember that today as we study your word and help us to see your hand in others' lives as they are used by you to help us. Today as I'm up here, Lord, I ask that I would decrease and that you would increase. And may the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, my rock and my redeemer. Thanks, Father. Amen. When I was a kid, the county decided to finally rebuild the bridge about a quarter of a mile from our house. It wasn't a bridge that went over a stream. It was a bridge that went over our electric train, one of the few electric trains still left in the nation. It was great, loved it. Very silent when it went by, the train did, except when they threw the diesel repair train and then our house would shake. But the county finally decided to repair this bridge that went over these train tracks. And as they were repairing it, me and my siblings, we would go outside the house and we'd go down to the clearing and watch these men work. I was fascinated by it. And then they would leave and we would crawl all over that bridge in various stages of disrepair and repair. It was so much fun. That was the first time I actually got to touch and feel fresh asphalt. Driving over it, I always thought it was solid, but then when you, you could stick your fingers in it. It's really hot, but it's great. It, I love the smell of asphalt to this day, all the memories of that. I have joy from that time of watching these construction workers work on that bridge. There is joy in my heart whenever I see someone who is making something or building something, whether it's a road or a building. I just want to sit there with my mouth open in awe of these people who can do these things that I have no idea how to do. It's great seeing someone who is skilled at something do it and do it with joy and happiness and see them step back and see the work of art that they have made finally and this, this sense of relief that comes off of them. Every builder has their own style. Every builder has their own proficiency. Gene did construction. His son does construction. They do a great job at it. Other people lay cement. They do a great job at that. Of course, everyone has their own level of proficiency, how great a job they do at these things. And every person has something that they should never do at all in their life. I should never paint. Okay, there we go. We've let that out. I'm grateful that God has blessed this church with people who should paint, and I can just step back and watch them and never pick up the paintbrush. Paul says that God has placed servants among his churches to build the church, to lead the church. They are God's builders, and Paul says, let them build. Let's talk about these workers. Let's talk about their identity. Paul says that these builders are called by God. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 5, What, after all, is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord assigned to each his task. And then in verse 9, he says, For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's filled, God's building. Paul believed that both him and Apollos were called by God for their task in building into the Corinthian church. Even though 
They had different teaching styles. Even though they had differences in minor points of doctrine and theology, Paul believed that both of them were called by God to serve in the Corinthian church. He openly proclaimed his knowledge that he was called in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1 where he says in 1 Corinthians 1.1, 1, 1, he says, Paul called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. He firmly believed he was in his position because God had called him to that task. Other letters he wrote says the same thing. He was called by God to the task. Paul firmly believed that everyone who is in a place of authority has been put there by God, a certain calling on their life. It's true for people in government, Paul says, in Romans chapter 13, verse 1. Romans 13, 1, he says, Let everyone be subject to governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. And Paul is writing there when Nero, the most horrible emperor who was killing Christians, was there. And he says, hey, look at Nero. He was put there by God. Let's respect him. So he goes from governing authorities. He also talks about leaders in churches in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 to 13. Ephesians 4, 11 to 13, Paul writes, So Christ gave himself the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Paul says that those who lead and teach in churches have been called by God for that assignment. Unfortunately, there are many leaders and teachers in churches these days who do it because it is something to do, not because they sense there's a calling by God for it. Or someone has come to them and told them, hey, you'd be good for this task. I had a relative, have a relative, who is a pastor of a church in Minnesota who took a test because she wanted to move her vocation. And the test told her she would be perfect to be a minister. And so, she became one. Not because of a sense of calling, but because something told her that she'd be good at it. These people don't have a sense of the work. Charles Spurgeon, in teaching young pastors, said, let every man abide in the calling wherein he is called, unless there be to him some special call from God to devote himself to the ministry. He's saying, if you're in construction, be, con- be in construction. If you're in food service, be in food service. If you're a lawyer, be a lawyer. If you're in government, be in government. Don't leave it to go to ministry unless you cannot do otherwise. There's this calling, burden that I have to do this. If you don't have that calling, Paul and Spurgeon says, don't go into the ministry. Later, Charles Spurgeon says, I do not ask whether you're much instructed or learned or all that. I don't need to ask you, for I don't care about it myself, but I ask you these questions. Have you tried to address a a Sunday school? Have you gained the attention of the children? Having tried to address a few people when they've been gathered together, have you found that they would listen to you after you have preached? Had you any evidence and any sign that would lead you to believe that souls were blessed under you? Did any of the saints of God who are spiritually minded tell you that their souls were fed by your sermon? Did you hear of any sinner convinced of sin? Have you any reason to believe that you have had a soul converted under you? If not, if you will take one advice for what it is good for, and I believe it's it's advice which God's Holy Spirit would have me give you, you had better give it up. You'll make a very respectable Sunday school teacher. You'll do very well in a great many other ways. But unless these things have been known by you, unless you have these evidences, you may say you have been called and all that. I don't believe it. 
If, you've been, if you have been called to preach, there would have been some evidence and some sign of it. When there is a calling by God to do something, there is an urgency within someone saying, yes, God has called me to do it, but he also shows that there is evidence of him working through you. And if there's no evidence, Paul and Spurgeon says, don't believe there's a call. But when the evidence is there, and there's an understanding of a mandate from God, the leader must lead and the teacher must teach. Who are these builders? Paul says they are called by God. Secondly, he says they're called by God to serve together. They're called by God to serve together. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 3, 6 to 8, he says, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. Every single person who preaches the word of God or teaches the church is part of a greater work than just what is going on here. I think about the church that I attended when I was in high school. I've talked to several of you about it, Evergreen Baptist Church, Pastor John Rumley. He believed that God had given that church the task of sending because God would bring people into that church to attend and after a couple years, they would leave. It wasn't that they would leave to go to another church in the area. They would actually move to other cities and other states. They'd just be moving to the area, go to Evergreen, move away someplace else. But whenever they moved someplace else, they would always get plugged into a church there and they would become teachers and leaders of that church because in their time at Evergreen, they became more spiritually mature. They were able to know Christ better and live that out and then take that wherever God led them next. Pastor John knew that even though it stunk to invest in someone for so many years and then have them go away, that he was part of a greater work. That he was serving together with other ministers around the nation to build the church of Jesus Christ. Who are these men? They're called by God to serve together. They're called by God to serve together with one purpose. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 3, 8, the one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. Paul and Apollos, both of them had one purpose. They were to preach the gospel and call the followers of Jesus Christ to live as followers of Jesus Christ. They're two different people, Paul and Apollos, but they were co-workers with one purpose, and Paul owned that. There are, several, there are some preachers who get insecure when they hear that their congregation is listening to other people whether it's on the radio or on YouTube or whatnot, and they don't allow any special speaker to come and preach because they're afraid of what, what's going to be said. They're afraid of, of what the congregation is going to think. But I know that I'm only human, that I'm not adequate to lead you as a church to maturity. So I welcome special speakers into the pulpit. Routinely, I'll have special speakers several times a year come because we need to hear from them because I'm not adequate in it myself. That's one reason why we have right now media, so that you can listen and watch teachings from Christian leaders from around the world and grow to be more spiritually mature, to know Christ better. And if you have not been diving into that right now media and you don't know how to, please let me know. I can get you set up and explain it to you. Or I can send someone your way if I don't have the time that day. We need each other. There's one purpose. One day, Jesus' disciples were arguing as they were following him. 
They were walking from one city to the other, and they were arguing of which one of them was the greatest. And they were giving different proofs of, I am the greatest because of this. I am the greatest because of that. And Jesus hears that, and he tells them, neither one, none of you are the greatest. If you want to be the greatest, be the servant of all. Well, they heard that, and it kind of went in one ear and stopped halfway through the brain. And the other half of the brain started arguing of saying, okay, since all of us, we're not supposed to be greatest, we're going to be servants. Now let's talk about which is the greatest. Those who follow Jesus all the time, like us, or, or those other people out there. And Mark records for us this discussion in Mark chapter 9, verses 38 to 40. He says, John says in Mark 9, 38 to 40, Teacher, we saw someone driving out demons in your name and we told him to stop because he was not one of us. We're better than him. Shouldn't we stop his ministry? And Jesus said, don't stop him. For no one who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me. For whoever is not against us is for us. John wanted to lift himself and the other disciples up as true followers of Christ, over and above all those other people that he thought didn't make the cut. And Jesus says, those people who don't think make the cut don't stop their ministry, for whoever's not against us is for us. There are many people who would look at and say, that person's not leading people correctly in the church. That person's not teaching people correctly. We would do it differently. We would say things differently. Therefore, that person is wrong and we are right. However, these teachers, while they are different from how we would prefer, are not actually leading people away from Jesus. In fact, through their ministry, people are growing in spiritual maturity. They're confessing sin and changing. So instead of throwing up a barrier and saying, they're wrong, we're right, should we not recognize that we are serving together with one purpose while acknowledging our differences? Now, if I haven't been on shaky ice that might just break underneath me, I'm going to step out a little bit farther and hopefully I don't like shatter and drown in the depths. I am not a fan of a guy by the name of Joel Olstein, and normally I don't drop people's names in the sermon. I don't think it's right, but for the sake of this illustration, I have to say someone's name. I'm not a fan of Joel Olstein. If you don't know him, he's a megachurch pastor in southern Texas, and he preaches what's called the prosperity gospel. He says that God has saved us so that we can be healthy and wealthy. And I don't believe that is true, and I believe the Bible specifically denounces that teaching. There are many things that Joel Olstein says that I do not agree with, but there are some things that he says that I do agree with. When he, before he preaches, he says this poem. He says, this is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. I can do what it says I can do. Today I will be taught the word of God. I boldly confess that my mind is alert. My heart is receptive. I'm about to receive the incorruptible, indestructible, ever-living seed of the word of God. I will never be the same again. Joel Olstein, though he, does, he preaches some things I don't agree with, has a higher view of the word of God that many, than many people who attend Bible churches. He believes this is true completely, and he tries to live his life based upon that truth. And there are many people who sit in the congregations across the United States that don't have that same depth 
of conviction. I know people who have come to faith through the teaching of Joel Olstein. I know people who have grown in spiritual maturity in understanding the Bible and how to live practically as a follower of Jesus Christ through his teaching. I will not recommend that anyone listen to his teaching. I will stand up and share where his teaching is against the word of God. But I have to say that I believe that Joel Olstein is a follower of Jesus Christ and one day I will worship in eternity shoulder to shoulder our Savior and King with him. And I believe that God has used him even in his brokenness and his sin just as God has used me in my brokenness and my sin. These workers of God, who are they? Paul says they are called by God to serve together with one purpose. Fourth, they are called by God to serve together with one purpose according to their gifts. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5, What after all is Apollos, and what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. Last week we talked about how each of us brings something value, of value. As we follow God, doing what he's called us to do, we do things of value. These things of value that we do, of eternal value, are things that we do based upon the spiritual gifts that God has given us, based upon the personalities and talents that God has created in us. I believe every single person who has placed their faith in Jesus Christ has been given a spiritual gift to use. Excuse me, and he has created us unique so that we will use our spiritual gifts in a very unique way. And we're able to reach and encourage people with those spiritual gifts in a way that no one else can as, as we merge the spiritual gifts with our personalities and our talents. The scripture talks about this all over the place. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 10 to 11, Peter writes in 1 Peter 4, 10 to 11, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides so that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Unique gifts to be used. Uh, We could talk about what David wrote in Psalm 139, verses 13 to 14. Psalm 139, verses 13 to 14, David said, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Every single person is unique and is able to do things uniquely because of their spiritual gifts, their personalities, and their talents. This uniqueness is true for everyone. That means it's true for teachers and leaders. I think about Sunday school. I think about Brooke, John, and myself who take turns rotating teaching the adult Sunday school class. Each one of us is completely different. And those of you who have sat under our teaching in Sunday school will acknowledge that we are completely different. We're completely different in our teaching styles. We're completely different in, in the things we focus on, in the different passages we teach. Every single, we're, we're different in the types of questions we ask, whether we ask questions or not. We're different. But each of us brings ideas and perspectives that are necessary to consider. When John teaches through a book of the Bible, he brings things that I wouldn't bring, but they are necessary for us to consider. So we learn from each other and help each other grow. That's why we have a rotation of teachers in the kids' Sunday school. 
so that those kids can, can learn from the different unique teachings of these different people as we all work together to lead each other into spiritual maturity. In a broader sense, I'm not Greg Laurie. I'm not Chuck Swindoll. I'm not David Jeremiah. I'm not, you all know that. But the church needs all of us, those three and more and myself, because all of us are good for the universal church, not just the local one, but universal. There we have it. The identity of the builders are called by God to serve together with one purpose according to their gifts. This is the identity of the workers. Anyone need to jump up and do a couple jumping jacks? Anyone? Okay. This was your last chance. Last chance. Anyone want to? Okay. We've talked about the identity of their workers, that they are called by God to serve together with one purpose according to their gifts. Now let's talk about their responsibility. Responsibility. What are the responsibility of the workers that God, the builders that God has called? First, they have a responsibility to build upon the foundation of Jesus Christ. And you say, Pastor, this sounds a lot like last week's sermon. Don't worry, it is branching off to be different. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 3, 10 to 11. He says, by the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. Every single person who calls themselves a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, who has a position of teaching the word of God, is called upon to build on the foundation of Jesus Christ. We believe that he is the only foundation that will last. Unfortunately, he is also the foundation stone which causes stumbling. Hey, David, I need you to get and sit on this chair. Okay? Thank you. And you'll stay. I know. We'll get the colors later, okay? Thank you. Listen to mommy. Do we believe that Jesus Christ is the only foundation stone that will last? Unfortunately, he's also the foundation stone that causes stumbling. Jesus spoke of himself in Matthew 21, verses 42 to 45. Matthew 21, 42 to 45. Jesus says, Have you never read in the scriptures, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce fruit. Anyone who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, and anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. Jesus calls himself, this foundation stone, a stone of stumbling, a stone that will break people to pieces and will crush others. People do not like preaching Jesus Christ. They don't. If someone truly preaches the word of God, truly teaches about Jesus, that person will be broken into pieces. Because as they study and as they teach, they realize who they are. Every week when I prepare this message and I study the Bible for the passage, I look at it, I stare at a mirror and see myself for who I really am. Every single person who teaches it, sees themselves for who they am. Even though they depend on Jesus for their salvation, they've fallen on him as their only hope, we all realize that we must change. And if someone is truly teaching and preaching the word of God, they cannot stand up and say, thus says the Lord, and continue living a lie. It doesn't work. They can try. They can get pretty good at it, but it doesn't work ultimately. That lie is revealed, and they crash 
and they burn. It is hard to come and preach Jesus Christ because every week I see my limitations. Every week I see that I'm a sinner desperately in need of God's grace. People don't like preaching Jesus because sometimes when the truths of Christ are taught, it's like you're picking up a huge boulder and you're lobbing it across the room and smacking someone across the face with it. And you see it happen. And you see that pain in their face when they realize the truth and what's going on inside of them. You feel it and you wish you didn't have to do it to the people in front of you. It is hard to build on the foundation of Jesus Christ, to faithfully do it week after week. There are some sermons I prepare I don't want to preach because I know the reaction that's going to happen. That's why some people, some pastors don't proclaim Christ anymore because it's easier not to. There was a pastor here in town when I came that every week she would pick out a children's book and she would preach from the children's book. The congregation loved it. But they weren't learning about Jesus. It was easier for the pastor, it was easier for the congregation. But they were not growing in spiritual maturity. God's servants have a responsibility to build on the foundation of Jesus Christ. Not only do God's servants have a responsibility to build on the foundation of Jesus Christ, but they have a responsibility to use the correct materials. To use the correct materials. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 3, 10 to 15, by the end of these two sermons, you're going to have this passage memorized. 1 Corinthians 3, 10 to 15, Paul says, By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. Each of these materials we talked about speaks of the quality of the builder, what they're doing. God's servants can build things of eternal value or non-eternal value. It's their choice, and they're going to be rewarded or judged based upon the materials that they're using. What are these materials of eternal value? We talked about this a little bit last week. But based on these materials, God's servants have two responsibilities. First, they are to build so that Christ's followers will grow in knowledge. They use the right materials so that Christ's followers will grow in knowledge. The duty of the teacher is to present truths of God so that people will know who God is and how best to relate to him. That's why we preach through books of the Bible, so we can teach everything, the whole counsel of God, not leaving anything out. There's some people that pick and choose, that's okay for them, but we try to do the whole thing so we can know God. That's why during Sunday school, we've been doing a survey of the Old and New Testaments because lots of people have never read the whole thing. So we've walked through the past three and a half, four years, the whole thing, finally getting to the end of the New Testament so we will know the truths of God and we can have confidence in who God is and what he is doing. The duty of teaching knowledge is not flashy and sometimes it is boring. Last week's sermon was a lot more entertaining than this week's sermon. Sometimes it's not flashy. Sometimes it is boring. And there are many evangelical churches that will focus on preaching the flashiness, the emotions, on daily living, leaving the knowledge to others to teach because they want people to keep coming and filling the seats. 
but unfortunately this has caused a lot of people to not have good doctrine in churches in America these days and to pass on bad doctrine. Case in point is views of the afterlife. You look on Facebook or talk to people. A lot of people will talk about how their dead one has gone and become an angel. And the Bible does not teach this. We don't become angels. God created angels at the beginning of time. We, we will go and be resurrected one day. Some people talk about living in heaven forever. And that's not what the Bible says. It says in Revelation that God is going to remake the earth. And we're going to live forever on this earth. Earth that is perfect without any sin or death or brokenness or sickness or any of these other things that are a product of the fall. Just as God created the world at the beginning of time and in Eden, so it will be again because of Jesus Christ. That is our hope. Not this floating around in some space that we can't describe. But God has created us for earth and eternity here and we're looking forward to that day. These are things that people commonly talk about because doctrine and knowledge have not been taught adequately. So the people, God's builders, are to build so that Christ's followers will grow in knowledge, but they're also to build so that Christ's followers will grow in maturity. Many churches, unfortunately, that focus on doctrine forget to lead the congregation in spiritual maturity. Remember, spiritual maturity is knowing Jesus and living as if we know him. Knowing the things of God and living the things of God. There are many pastors and teachers who are great at doctrine and know the Bible very well, but they do not live the Bible. There's been some scandals in the past 20 years from pastors of very strong churches who we would have looked and said, they know the Bible backward and forward. They know all of the truth. But unfortunately, it came out that they were not living the truth. There are many pastors and teachers whose marriages are a wreck, who are horribly abusive parents. They look great on the outside, but unfortunately they are rotting on the inside because though they know the things of God, they are not living the things of God. There are many churches who know their doctrinal statement very well, but they experience split after split after split. That's part of the history of this church, actually. Knew the doctrinal statement very well, but experienced split after split after split because though they knew the word of God, they were not living the word of God. God's servants are called to lead the church of Jesus Christ into maturity so that his followers not only know the things of God, but live the things of God. So the responsibilities, build on the foundation of Jesus Christ and build with the things so that Christ's followers will grow in both knowledge and maturity. So we've seen the identity. We've seen the responsibility. You can't go out and do jumping jacks, but anyone want to stand on their head? Giving you a chance, Tim. We've seen the identity. We've seen the responsibility. Let's look at the judgment. The judgment of God's builders. God promised to judge the builder of his church, and he will judge him in three areas. The first area is the foundation. He will judge his servant on whether his servant has built on the foundation of Jesus Christ or not. Paul exhorts the Galatians in Galatians chapter 1, verse 9. Galatians 1, 9, he says, As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, that is Jesus Christ, grace through faith of Jesus Christ, let them be under God's curse. 
when God's servants lead someone to base their life on something other than Jesus Christ, that servant, that builder, will be judged by God, Paul says. God will also judge his servants on the materials that they use. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 3, 13 to 15, 1 Corinthians 3, 13 to 15, he says that these servants, these builders' work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burnt up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. If the leader or the teacher does not teach correct doctrine or teach doctrine at all, or if the leader or church teacher does not lead the people into spiritual maturity, either through their words or their actions, God says that he will judge that servant. Their works, the material that they use, will be burned up and they'll be left standing with nothing. They'll be saved by the grace of God through the skin of their teeth. They'll be saved, but with nothing to show for their life. God says he will judge his servants. He'll judge them for the foundation. He'll judge them for the material. Finally, he will judge them for the result, the result of their building. 1 Corinthians 3, 16 to 17. 1 Corinthians 3, 16 to 17. Paul says, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred and you together are that temple. Last week, I talked about how Paul, Paul is talking about the church as a whole. He uses y'all there, plural that the church as a whole is God's temple, the people gathered together. And if one of his servants lives or leads in a way that destroys the temple of God, the local church, God will judge that person, Paul says. I've known lots of pastors who have been stuck in their pride and have ripped churches apart because they've not humbly admitted that they are not the correct leader for that church. And they've stuck and said, no, I am supposed to be here. And the church just splits, crumbles, dies. And God will judge that leader who does it. Pastors have refused to confess sin or acknowledge how bad their sin is. And they've tired churches apart and God will judge that leader. Pastors have focused on minor points of doctrine, calling everyone to agree with them, exalting those minor points with the gospel. And when someone humbly disagrees, they cause divisions acting as if they are God and know all things well, and God will judge that leader. God's servants, leaders and teachers called by God have a sober responsibility to build up the church, not to tear it down. That is why James says in James 3.1, James 3.1, he says, not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. And the author of Hebrews says in Hebrews 13.17, Hebrews 13, 17, he says, have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. We keep watch over people's souls and God will judge us according to that. God's gonna judge his servants, his builders. And many times I wake up scared in my boots because of that fact. So what does it have to do with us? I've talked a lot about God's servants and God's teachers, which only focuses on just a couple of us. Most of you aren't teachers in the church. Most of you aren't leaders in the church. How does it apply to all of us? Well, the application is, if God is going to judge his servants, we don't have to. 
If God is going to judge his servants, we don't have to. All right. Now I'm going to get on even thinner ice. And I've got to read this. What I wrote. I can't just say it from the top of my mind. Many Bible churches get into the habit of tearing Bible teachers apart. We want to be, quote-unquote, discerning, which is good. We look up to the Bereans in Acts who listened to Paul, and then they searched the Scriptures to see if what Paul was saying was true. They found that it was, and they followed him. So we are discerning. But in our discerning, instead of searching the Scriptures with an open mind, we think about what we already know, and we bash everything bad about what the teacher is saying first off. We listen and we say, that was bad, that was bad, that was bad, that was bad. I don't agree with that, I don't agree with that, I don't agree with that, I don't agree with that. And then we get caught up in what we don't agree, and we don't see the truth that is there. We think we have to be the judge of someone, what someone's saying with their actions. But when we do this, we're doing what Paul condemns. We're destroying the temple of God and we're dividing the church. We're following in the footsteps of John saying, God, can we stop this person from teaching this because they're not perfect in doctrine like we are perfect in doctrine. Well, perhaps we're like the Pharisee who said, God, thank you so much that I'm not like that person, that tax collector and sinner, because I know what I'm talking about and they don't. In this, we show our pride. In this, we show our immaturity. In this, we declare that we will do a better job at judging teachers than God will. Therefore, we must step up and be God in this situation. And this, we destroy the church, and God says that he will judge us when we do that. I remember visiting a church one time with a retired pastor, a guy I really look up to. And we were sitting there in the pew together. Pastor preached a sermon. We got up. We were going to a fellowship time. And the retired pastor looked at me and said, okay, so how do you think that pastor did? What did he do wrong? I looked at this guy who I really respected. And I was appalled. And I said, I was blessed by what that man said because he presented the word of God and I learned how to love God better through his teaching. My bookshelves are full of books that I don't agree with completely. In fact, I'm a sinful human being, and I don't know of anyone in this world that I agree with completely because I'm not perfect in my doctrine. But I, my bookshelves are full of these books that have points that I don't agree with, but points that share the truth of God. Therefore, they are valuable. You say, what about discerning? Yes, we need to be discerning, but we need to acknowledge when the Bible is shared and focus on the truth of what is shared before we start picking at minor things. And we only pick at those minor things if we have proven what we believe by Scripture and we can know that we can uplift those around us by doing this. So many times we nitpick at preachers because of our pride, not because we want to humbly uplift the people around us. And the truth is, so often when we do that, we throw at everything even the good that the person said, just because of small things that are bad that we may, might disagree with, and they might actually be right about, and we're the wrong ones. The truth is that God's servants are God's builders, 
and we need to let them build. Instead of walking up to a construction site and looking at all the ways that the construction workers are doing things wrong because we know how to do it better than they do, let's walk up and be in awe of God, how God can use broken, sinful people to build his kingdom. Let's see his hands at work through them and encourage those workers. These are God's builders, so let's let them build. Will you pray with me? Father, Lord, I am in awe that you can use broken, sinful people to do your work. Most of the time, when we pick up the Bible, we just make a mess of it. When we try to share our faith, we do things wrong. But Lord, thank you that you are the God who is gracious and uses us in spite of our failures. When we make miserable, horrible mistakes, it is then that your glory and your grace shines through. And it is then that people are in awe of who you are instead of looking up to us. Lord, you are wise beyond imagination. Thank you for using us. And teach us as your people how to show your grace to each other, to build each other up instead of tearing each other down. Thanks, Father. Amen.